I just realized that I did the entire intro and was on mute the entire time. So feel free to laugh at me there. Uh, what's up, Coke Fiends? You're listening to yet yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. And tonight we'll be joined by one of my favorite personalities covering the Big 12. That's Philip Slavin of the 1012 Network. And he's going to be helping us preview the matchup this weekend for K-State against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. For the second time, uh, once again, I'm joined by my co-host, the good chef and fireball Matt. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Have you recovered? How are things? I'll go first, Matt. Uh, I'll say this. I don't think I'll ever recover from that TCU game. It scarred me. I'm hurt. I'm broken. But also, the team's broken and hurt. So I can't really complain much, but I've moved on. But I've got the permanent scar and reminder of that TCU game. Yeah, it uh, that that one lingered for uh, for a good bit, um, just like everybody else's injuries, apparently. But um, I, you know, that game taught us a little bit about how injury luck in the Big Twelve can hit at the most inopportune time, and uh, that game Saturday definitely definitely proved that, especially in the. Uh, so for, for the crowd here, we've got, uh, we've got an overview of the game. We've got some offensive and defensive takeaways as well as special teams. And then we'll go ahead and pivot over to, to the Oklahoma state preview. But I mean, we, we fell to TCU this past Saturday, 38 to 28. The the final score really doesn't tell the whole tale of the game. I think the real storyline, this game and, and chef alluded to it already, but, but it was the injury bug hitting the cats after a bye week which, I don't think really any of us fans anticipated. We didn't, I, I at least didn't hear a whole lot of chatter about injuries coming into the matchup. Uh, and, and Will Howard, I mean, he showed up, he showed out. He was Bill the Butcher on Saturday. I love to see it. He had that next man up mentality uh, and he needed to keep us in that game. And, and he did so. So I was really, really pleased with Will Howard's performance. Uh, and, and frankly, we were just a couple of field goals away and, and, uh, you know, a missed, a missed throw in the end zone uh, to Cade Warner, maybe just slightly overthrown there. Um, but we were really, we were in it the whole time. Uh, and, and it just kind of got out of hand and, and got out of our, I don't really know how to put it. We just kind of lost control and, and TCU had all that momentum going into halftime and, and things just kind of fell apart. So uh, any, any thoughts just more broadly before we get into specifics from y'all? Yeah, I, I, just want to say, you know, we can be disappointed about the game, but also be a little enthused with how I felt offensively we played, especially when it with Adrian going down very early. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the offense, but this is a team that does show the capability to fight. And I think at the end of the day, you know, TCU went on a big run in that second half. That's totally you know, totally great. Um, but this is a team that, you know, we'll be really proud of Saturday night. I'm, pr- I'm pretty confident. Yeah. The, the game, it had, it has its ups and downs, but really it was more of ups because I mean, that second quarter was just elite football, especially under the circumstances like Matt just said of Adrian going down, Will comes in, and he, when his number was called, he did not shy away from it. He came in there, and 
realistically, that was the best performance passing that we've seen outside of maybe the Iowa State game on those two big throws that Adrian had. But Will came in, played great. He did his thing. I mean, down the stretch, it was kind of just desperate times, and he was hurt, and it just showed a lot of guts for him to come back there after getting absolutely smushed by that defensive lineman. I was one of the most violent hits I've seen in a long time. And he came back out there and he showed a lot of guts. So, I mean, I'm proud of this team defensively. We did as much as we could until the dam broke because they were just out there so much. But, you know, the injuries, next man up mentality, and hopefully this carries over to Oklahoma State and we can – we could build a, on this as a team and and grow, grow. Absolutely. And I think for for Will Howard, he was he was a dude. He was 13 for 20 with 225 yards throwing, 31 yards rushing, two touchdowns and an interception on the passing side and then a rushing touchdown. So between him, we saw some solid contributions from the from the wide receivers and tight end units with with Howard connecting with Cave Warner and Sammy Wheeler on the two touchdown throws. Um, Malik Knowles led him receiving yards and receptions with four for a very nice 69 yards. And and I feel like this is the first game we've seen Deuce back in, in what seemed like a, a little bit of a dormant state. He led the team in rushing yards with 83 yards on 12 carries with a rushing touchdown. And then he combined that with four receptions for 38 yards. So we got another 100 plus all purpose yard contribution from Deuce. Uh, that's really all I have on the offensive side. Any other offensive takeaways from from you two? And and we've got Phil on Philip on here as well, um, just in case he wants to chime in on anything TCU before we move on to to Oklahoma. Yeah, I'll, I'll tap in. You know, I mean, it's just another kind of repetitive story about the game. Injuries come up. Ben Sennett gets hurt. He hurts his elbow somehow. I think I think obviously the one that was not in the brace, so he hurts his elbow or his shoulder one. And, you know, Sammy Wheeler, we kind of talked about him at the beginning of the season as being somebody that could maybe break out in this offense as the threat offensively from the tight end position catching balls down the field. And, you know, he gets in the end zone, which is a really good thing for Sammy's confidence. He needs to work as – on being a blocker a little bit better because that's what kind of Ben Sennett does everything a little bit well. But if he can get onto the field, he's a real pass catching threat. And I, I really like him in the offense. So him getting in the end zone was really nice. I am always going to be um, a, a Will Howard fan. Um, I know he, you know, in his career, he's been put into some situations that haven't been, the best and that has nothing to do with him um a true freshman relieving Skylar Thompson for the rest of the year in 2020 you know being put in some games last season when Skylar was out um I am really proud of the performance that he put together especially on the road um in an environment that even the team has said you know was one of the best you know the best environment that they've been in all season um and it leaves a lot of optimism to 2023 it really does because, you know, the way that he performed out there, I've always felt that he's had the capability to be a true dual threat and being able to run the football, um, but also having a pretty decent arm. And he really did show uh, a just an impressive game in a, in a difficult situation. And, um, you know, it was too bad that he got hurt in that game. 
Um, but at the end of the day, he drove the the team down to four touchdowns in that first half. And, um, you know, if he does end up getting the start this Saturday, I have a lot of confidence that he's going to be able to put together a really good performance. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, the Downingtown West Whippet of Will Howard, um, you know, I'm excited and I, I felt he I think the last thing I want to say about Will is, and I love calling him Bill the Butcher because he's slicing and dicing that that TCU defense in the first half. But I think we're starting to finally see some of that experience pay off for him because he is, if not the most experienced backup in the Big 12 right now, he's he's right up there with like Hudson Card. And he is, he's starting, I think to, we're starting to see some of that experience. We're starting to see some of that maturity that maybe we, we didn't see when he was a a freshman or I guess, is he still a red shirt freshman technically? Technically, yeah. Or is he red shirt sophomore? He got his, he had his COVID season. And then last year was his true freshman season because of his COVID season. And then he was supposed to red shirt this year. And I mean, he still can, but if he red shirts, he'll be a red shirt freshman going in next year. Philip, I see you off mute. Do you have uh do you have your two cents here? Yeah, I know it's what's what's interesting to me is so two thoughts. You guys are praising Will Howard and I look, I have I have I've never said positive things about Will Howard in the past. I think it was wise of Kansas State to get Adrian Martinez based off what we'd seen from Will Howard. That wasn't just the best performance I've ever seen from him. That's like I, I don't I don't think you can realistically say that that's something you should have expected. I will say this. He did play very well in that game. Um, I do think he also made some throws that, and that a lot of credit goes to the wide receivers for the plays that they made in that. And so my, my thing for Kansas state, my biggest takeaway from Saturday is if for some reason, Will Howard is, does have to come back in this Saturday. I'm, I'm having a hard time expecting a repeat performance that we got in the first half. And I, I really do wonder if in the second half we would have seen him execute quite as as well as he did in the first. Now, the counter to that is the Kansas State defense in that first half, that was the Kansas State defense I think we would have seen throughout the rest of the game. And I think Kansas State could have hung on to win that game because you really didn't start to see TCU execute on offense, especially run the ball as well until you started seeing the injuries start to pile up for Kansas State especially in the defensive backfield. So I think the two big takeaways for me are I'm, I'm not that concerned about Kansas State defense, barring that everyone's able to get back healthy quickly. I'm not as, again, props to Howard for the performance on Saturday. He outperformed my expectations by a long, long, long mile. Um, props to the receivers for making the plays they did. I have a hard time seeing that be immediately repeatable the following week if he is required to take the field on Saturday. I I think those are all good points for sure. Uh, And and it's a great segue onto more of the defensive side. I think just from a statistic perspective, we've got Nick Allen who led the day in cleanup duty with some of the injuries that the team faced with 10 total tackles, uh, followed by Austin Moore who had nine. Uh, We had six guys on the board with tackles for a loss. We had Julius Brents, Drake Cheatham, Gavin Forche, Nate Matlack, Robert Hentz, screen all those guys were on the board there uh we we had kobe savage flying around out there as well uh we've got his dad in uh in the live room here uh listening in as well but uh thanks for thanks for joining mr savage but 
uh, Deuce Green, Gavin Forche, Nate Matlack, and uh, Robert Hentz also uh, were on the board tallying up one sack each on Max Duggan, who has now passed Bryce Young in Heisman odds. So, uh, guys, what do we have on the defense? I think Philip uh, gave us a great entry point onto the defensive side of the ball. You know, the defense, that first half, I feel really good that if we kept the same personnel through the game, we had the defense enough to win it. Um, I don't want to take away the fact that I think Max Duggan is a really, really good quarterback and we faced a really, really good offensive team, which as I said last week, you know, I was scared about how that offense was going to play against us. Um, You know, they've just shown through, through the year to be an effective offense to get, you know, into the end zone and, you know, be competitive in games, but, you know, you have to be proud of Nick Allen and the way that he played, um, especially from an injury perspective. You know, we had a, you know, a group out there that, you know, maybe isn't necessarily the most cohesive group, but we know that they, they have some talent. Um, so it, my hope is that we can, you know, come through this week, we get this group practicing together, um, preparing for Oklahoma State to be in a, a similar situation this upcoming Saturday to be able to make some stops against Spencer Sanders. Yeah, the the team really, I mean, once the injuries, like Philip said, once the injuries started happening, and like Matt said, the cohesion for gap assignment, gap integrity, um, the third and 17 really is the play that like sticks out in my mind of we have a lot of backups out there. Robert Hintz is out there. And I mean, we just don't track the ball. Well, we don't attack the ball. Well, when on that screenplay and that, I mean, it just screams that these guys haven't not necessarily played, but just they haven't practiced and seen the looks for live action in a, in a, I mean, one of the most physical Big 12 games you'll ever see. I mean, guys are falling down left and right, big hits everywhere, running backs staying up on their feet. And then, I mean, I mean, everybody was just coming in there with bad intentions. I mean, you hate to see guys like Julius Brents go down with a hamstring injury. I think it's a hamstring, but, you know, he was playing really well on Quentin Johnson for a long time. And then the guy – Quentin Johnson, he really just broke out because, I mean, you can only contain that guy for so long. But you got you guys, you got to see guys like a true freshman and, and Jacob Parrish almost pull off the interception of the season, really. I mean, that was startling how quick he recovered on that ball and almost got his feet in for that interception. But just the team, I think another week of practicing with guys getting reps because, you know, a lot of these guys with the injuries – aren't going to be practicing. So the guys underneath them are going to get a lot of those first team reps, which I think will help in the long run, but Oklahoma state's going to be a tall task. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. That'll wrap it up for the defensive side. The last thing we'll have on TCU review, and then we'll, we'll move over to Phillip in the, the Oklahoma state preview. But as much as we hate to discuss it when it's bad, we've got special teams takeaways. Un- unfortunately, Chris Tennant's a big headliner for that. Uh, he was zero or zero for two for field goal attempts 
and he was four for four, a perfect four for four on extra points. But those two field goals in clutch moments combined with a, a couple of the blunders that we saw on offense, the missed to K Warner in the end zone. Those are some of the ultimate difference makers. And in some ways I've, I've heard this comparison made a couple of times, but it did almost feel like that 2014 game against Auburn. In some ways you were in it, you had the chances, you had the opportunities, but unfortunately it just, it just came out of your hands and, and weren't able to make those difference. Uh, weren't able to make those differences on, on the offensive side of things. So curious y'all's thoughts on, on the special team side, and then we'll move over to the, the Oklahoma I'm not necessarily going to, I'm not going to dog on Chris Tennant. Um, I think we, at this point, have to look forward. Um, you know, Cro- Coach Kleiman talked about this week of giving um, some opportunities potentially to Ty Zentner um, to kick field goals. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we want every player to be successful on this team, right? And um, we've seen it in the past um, from a special team situation in other years, right? Um And, you know, Chris Tennant's been under a microscope for, um, you know, this season. We've seen some of these situations before, but, um, you know, taking out the TCU game and now you have to look forward to the Oklahoma State game. And um, if he's out there, you know, kicking field goals, I mean, I, of course, you know, I'm going to support whatever decision Coach Kleiman makes. And I want to make sure that, you know, they feel the support from us as well, because, you know, Bob, you've talked about Jack Cantelli and, you know, that Auburn game and, um, you know, field goal kickers are under a microscope, you know, a ton um, because, of course, it's expected to make kicks. Um, So when you miss them in in kind of those clutch situations, it's it's a it doesn't feel great. Um, So I'm on my side. I'm I'm not going to take, you know, too much to that. But, you know, hope that the Oklahoma State game, we see um, some more success in. Yeah, you'll never hear me bash on the kid. It's more, you know, it's just what's expected because Chris Tennant's got amazing talent. He's a good kicker. But we – and you you brought up past years. I mean, we can look back to this year. I mean, at the beginning of the season, extra points missed, field goals missed. And it's – and then he went on a stretch where he's banging them left and right. I mean, he, he was perfect until – on the road, he misses a misses a field goal that, in all actuality, I don't think he tries to miss. I mean, not tries to miss, but I mean, I don't think he misses that usually. I mean, that was a that was a kind of a chippy for, in my opinion. And then, and then the wheels fall off. That you kind of lose confidence. But and and Chris Kleiman said it in his presser. Maybe he can saved Chris Tennant some of those headaches by you know fourth and two. We're kind of cooking. We're kind of rolling. Why not go for it? Fourth and two, let's be aggressive. And, I mean, we're going to – we we talked about it a little bit with the play calling. Maybe in that second half wasn't as aggressive as we were in that first first half. So, if we're going for it on fourth and two, I think we should, we should do that and save Chris Tennant the headache of having to make a 45-yarder, however long that miss was. So – Let's let's not we're not going to bash on the kid, but like Chris, uh, like Chris Kleiman said, it's an open competition now because you have to be better. You have to be good. You have to perform. And if you're not performing, your job is open and it's up. So maybe Chris Tennant this week in practice is stabilize it and he can get back on that path where he was right before that Iowa State miss. You can draw a lot of similarities to kicking as you 
you know, I mean, you could compare it to golf. You can compare it to being a pitcher. I, I was a pitcher when I was, you know, playing baseball growing up. And, uh, when you're, when you're golfing, you're putting, you're driving, there's so many different situations where it's all mental and it's all about being able to be consistent and being able to be consistently, you know, pretty good. And kicking is very similar. I remember after that TCU game, when a few years back, when Jack Cantelli was the kicker for that and made the, the game winning field goal, he was in the post game presser talking about, you know, this came back to when I was playing high school golf and was winning state championship in high school golf and having to, you know, really focus and really concentrate. And, and it's all about your mentality. And so I, I, I really, really do hope that Chris Tennant from a mental perspective is, is able to get back on track um, and, and is able to kind of shake this off and, and move forward with it. And at the end of the day, it is what it is. You know, games are won, games are lost. We're all just fans here. We should not be dogging on a, you know, college age kid that's, that's missing a field goal here or there. At the end of the day, this is just a game. So I don't want people out there on Twitter making stupid, stupid comments about stuff. Like if you're a peer, go for it. But at the same time, these are still people. These are still kids. Like let them play the game and, and don't be an idiot and don't say something that, that can negatively impact you or negatively impact the person who's on the receiving end of those comments. Let's go ahead and put a quick bow on the TCU game. Anything else, uh, Chef or Fireball Matt? I think I think we can, like we said earlier, I think we can learn a lot of lessons from this game. And we're going to see a lot of players, I think, step up because of the injuries. You know, like Matt said, Nick Allen, I think he's a good player. He, the knee brace is gone. He was moving around out there. He's a senior. And, and it's it's players like that that are unheralded that come in in, in times when we need them. And we're going to need them for this Oklahoma state game, no matter how, no matter how it pans out, whether Daniel green plays or not, we're going to need them because Daniel green's not going to be a hundred percent probably for the rest of the season. So we're going to need Nick Allen to step up Desmond Purnell to step up in this first half. When Khalid Duke is out, it's just going to be a lot of next band up mentality. I hope, I hope we, I have utmost confidence in this team on Saturday, plus the environment of Bill Snyder Family Stadium, um, an afternoon kick on Fox. I mean, we we have a really great opportunity to bounce back, and you know, with this team not necessarily being at a hundred percent, I do think the environment is really going to help um, and and provide a difficult atmosphere for Oklahoma state. And then given, you know, our fans are going to give this team a lot of confidence in that game. So I, I have, I have a really good feeling about Saturday, you know, despite what happened last week, we dusted under the rug. We're ready for Saturday. Perfect. Well, we're going to go ahead and pivot to the Oklahoma state preview. Uh, Philip, go ahead and chime back in whenever you do make it back. But I guess I want to start it off by by talking a little bit about the game itself and, and the series itself. Uh, a quick little history lesson here for everybody. So this is a historic Big 8 matchup that goes all the way back to 1908. This is, once again, a very nice 69th matchup between the two teams. And the Cowboys have traditionally dominated the series like most of the Big 8 teams uh, from the original Big 8. 
but since 1990, the Cats have really had the advantage with a 14 to 10 record against the Pokes. And, and more recently, the Pokes have rattled off three straight. And they are one of the three teams in the Big 12 that, that Chris Kleiman has yet to defeat in his tenure as head coach. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it to, to Chef and Fireball Matt here. What are your thoughts in general about the meaning of this game and the meaning of this series? And, and what do you think about the fact that this is Chris Kleiman's one of the three teams that he has yet to defeat? Yeah, I mean, it's wild to think that Chris Kleiman can't get over the hump for a certain amount of teams. I mean, we thought the same thing about West Virginia. I mean, we, we thought he would never get over that one, but he, he got over that. Oklahoma State is, I mean, he's had him on the ropes a couple of years. What was that, 2020 with the the Will Howard fumble? Speaking of Will Howard, uh, he he fumbles in that game. I mean, that we almost sealed that one off. This Oklahoma State is one of those programs where it's like they don't they recruit at a decent level, but they're not elite at recruiting. But they they just I don't know if it's gun is it Gundy, but he just bangs out nine and ten win seasons all the time. It's kind of where for me I want to see K State at that threshold where we're just a consistent winner like that. But, you know, it takes time, and Gundy has put together a, a program, and I would love to know the history of it, but, I mean, they've been little brother to OU for a long time. What is what is their history like? After, before Gundy, they had, what, Barry Sanders? That's, that's what I think of. Barry so, Sanders, I mean, I Mike Gundy. Well, yeah, I mean, before Mike Gundy – Historically, when we would play Oklahoma State, we were kind of kicking their ass, right? Um, and then Mike Gundy came in, and um, he's he's had our number, I would say. I mean, uh, you know, since 2010, you know, that we've played them. Um, they, we, they've won six of the games. We've won four. Um, but hi- historically, this game is typically close, at least in the fourth quarter. You know, we're at a one-score game by the fourth quarter. Um, I, I have always felt that Oklahoma state is, um, you know, we think about from an offensive perspective and the firepower and everything that they have, um, for us, it's always been like, they have the offensive firepower, but somehow defensively, we typically are able to stop it, or at least, you know, that's what keeps us competitive. Um, I will say I love playing Oklahoma state every year. Um, they are, they are a team that in, in a school that I feel like we most associate with makes sense. Um, but typically they're, it, it's just a fun, a little rivalry that we have. Um, and I'm excited to play them in Manhattan this weekend. Um, I went to Stillwater last year, which was kind of a depressing game because I never felt that we were in it, but, um, you know, it's going to be fun. I love it. Awesome. And we do have, the man is back. Philip Slavin, welcome back to uh, to Cocaine Willie. First of all, thank you for joining us tonight. You've been an OG listener of Cocaine Willie. You've chimed in on some of these live shows previously, uh, if not uh, on the show itself, but but in the chat room. And uh, we appreciate your your support. Tell us a little bit more about uh, about you, the guy behind the Ten Twelve Network, the Ten Twelve Pod, and uh, and the work that you do there, and how you're you're also a Oklahoma State guy at heart. 
Uh, yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I appreciate it. I have been listening for a while. Uh, typically could chime in because I was laying in bed and there was a baby. Uh, so, you know, not the best time to start talking while you're trying to keep a, a three-month-old asleep. Uh, yeah, so I started the 1012 podcast. Um, good grief. I've, I, I figured it out a while ago. And like I said, I've got a five-month-old now, so memory not the best it is. Uh, but 1012 podcast is a, a podcast that covers the entire Big 12 conference. Uh, no, we are not changing the name when the conference goes to 10 or 12 teams. I'm not going through all of that because I don't want to have to try and do new branding. Uh, we <laughs> launched the 1012 Network last year. Uh, we are up to 11 shows, 12, 11 shows strong now. Is it 12? No, it's 12. Forgive me. Uh, I'm trying to think through everybody. Sorry. Uh, since we added Bosco's boys as our, our Kansas State show. Not, Shout uh, out to Scott. No way a commentary. Yeah. And no way a commentary on you guys. But uh, I worked long and hard to get Scott onto the network uh, for a long time. Uh, so we've got Scott as our, our and Bosco's boys, our K-State show. We're just, look, I, I was doing my show for a long time and uh, love the Big 12 and love the conference and wanted to create, I hate using this word because it's a weird, it's like a buzzword, but it's the best way to describe it. I want a little community of podcasts that are all focused on the Big 12 conference. Um, I felt like I had accumulated enough relationships and, and friendships and people that I was comfortable talking to that the idea of kind of gathering some podcasts together and, and, and promoting each other and building each other up was, uh, was a good idea and just focus on the big 12 conference, the conference that we all love and uh, the teams that we care about and follow. So we've got one, the goal is one show for every school. Uh, we went ahead and started adding shows for, the four incoming schools back in December, we added the Houston show with Scott and Holman podcast. We've got our UCF show with Sons of UCF. Um, at this point, the only schools we are missing are BYU, Cincinnati, and TCU. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, I, uh, funny story uh, that people who don't know this. Um, so, yeah, I'm a diehard Oklahoma State fan. I bleed orange. Um, I've been a fan since... Uh, I first got to school there back in 2003. I got to think about how old I am. Is that right? When did I graduate high school? I think that's right. Oh, three. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, funny story. Uh, I was there for a year and then they kindly asked me to leave because I was not a good student. Um, and uh, I graduated from the University of Oklahoma. So I'm actually an OU grad who's a diehard OSU fan. And I will take uh, crap from nobody because I had to spend two years in Norman as an OSU fan. And, and can't nobody tell me nothing um, ever again. About it. <laughs> I did not. I did not know that about you. That is that th yeah. throws a wrench in everything. It's incredible. I successfully avoided uh, the stadium until graduation and could do so no longer. Uh, my parents apparently wanted to, you know, see what they'd spent all that money on. So I went ahead and, and went in for for all the ceremonies and pomp and circumstance. Uh, but yeah, I'm an OU grad who's a diehard Oklahoma State fan. So I went to OSU for a year. Uh, it was the 0304 was the year that the men's basketball team went to the final four. Uh, it's the first team I ever, a, a, a team or sport. We didn't grow up uh, watching a lot of sports. My parents weren't, they went to uh, Northeastern state and Tahlequah. They weren't like diehard sports fans. They didn't care about pro stuff. And, and at most I watched a little chiefs and Niners with my grandpa, but I didn't have a team or a, a certain school or anything that I had an affinity toward. And then I followed Oklahoma state on the run to the final four and uh, my blood turned orange forever. And so uh, that's why I'm a diehard Oklahoma state fan. Cause uh, Tony Allen's still my favorite cowboy of all time. And that was still the tail end of the less miles era there. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Well, let's see, 03. Yeah, it would have been early on because he was he left in 04. So it would have been his last two years were 03, 04 because Gundy took over in 05. So yeah, yeah, over the last two seasons. I think 03 would any, have been. Uh, any, any crazy Les Miles stories that you have? Not really. Um, I, I, it's not like I hung out with him. <laughs> uh, let's see, I think 03 would have been the Al or the. Was that the Alamo Bowl or Cotton Bowl year with Ole Miss? I think that was the Ole Miss year, and it was uh, the younger Manning was the quarterback there. Eli. Yeah. Yeah. I recall that because I know that we're 0-3 against Ole Miss all the time, and it I don't like it. So we we just kind of went through a quick little history lesson about kind of the series between Kansas State and Oklahoma State more broadly. From your perspective, how meaningful is the series for uh, for Oklahoma State fans with K-State? And as we head into the matchup on Saturday specifically, where would you rank this particular game as far as the importance of it when you look at the broader slate of the Big 12 Conference matchups that we've had so um, So for the history here, I mean, there's been a lot of great games. I wouldn't consider it a rivalry other than being – two of the remaining four big eight schools. And so that history is there of having played each other over and over again, playing some tight games. Manhattan is a tough place to win. Um, I will think back to 2011 uh, and I will say this not so fondly of myself being so drunk and frustrated during that game. I punched a hole in a stranger's wall uh, because that game was absolutely bananas. Uh, I think it's been a fun series between two fan bases who don't really have any distaste toward each other. I'm sure there's fans who don't like Kansas State that are Oklahoma State fans, and I'm sure there's Kansas State fans that don't like Oklahoma State fans. But I like I, I think it's just two two programs, a lot of similarities. You know, it's a they, they a true college town, kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's what's going on on Saturday, and so I, I think it's two fan bases that have a mutual respect for each other. Um, as far as this game on Saturday, can we call it? the game of the century of the week to, to steal the phrase. Yeah. Why not? It does feel like what it is in the big 12 every single week. Last week, it was the game of the century of the week between TCU and Kansas state. And the week before that was the game of the century of the week between TCU and, and Oklahoma state. And you can, you could throw the game of the century part B of the week between Texas and Oklahoma state last week. I mean, every week, I think it was Robbie Triano of Big 12 Radio who had, who had put out a you know a hot takes questionnaire. And one of them was like, what's the most important game on the schedule the rest of the way? I was like, I can tell you this week, ask me again next week. Because next week, depending upon how this game goes, it could be Kansas State-Texas. It could still be Kansas State-Texas. Like, I can't decide if this is all going to get figured out by the end of October or early November, or if we're going to be sitting here at the week 13 of the regular season and Baylor and TCU are facing off and that game still has massive big 12 title game implications, because look, I think TCU is probably a lock with them being undefeated at this point. I'm not saying they're not going to lose. I, I wouldn't put money on them going undefeated, but I just like, who's going to be the team that gets in. And so it, it feels like every single week in the Big 12 for the next few weeks, there's still going to be a massive game. TCU still has to play Texas. Uh, Texas still has to play Kansas State and TCU. Baylor still has to play TCU, Texas, and Kansas State. Like, there's still so many big games that can have such a massive impact on which two teams go to Arlington. Like, this is a huge game. And it does feel like this is 
this is a massive game that could kind of settle the water for at least a couple weeks, but that depends on the outcome. So I just, it's a huge game. It's a massive game. And there's probably another massive game next week too. And that's the beauty of the big 12 this year is I know that the people keep saying like the big 12 is a ton of fun and it's so competitive and every game, there's something exciting going on. But I think sometimes those in national media are kind of picking up on that and saying it in kind of a, Oh, look how cute the big 12 is really exciting. Like, you know, fun belt and maxim but like no like the big 12 is good it's deep it's exciting they're good they're well-played games and it's not just that they're close because they're inferior programs like these are good football teams having meaningful dramatic games multiple of them in a conference that's putting out four games a saturday whereas you have other conferences who are bigger and like congrats you have one big game and then three or four that are like okay cool like the big 12 is producing dramatic games at least one you saw often two every single week and we're talking about kansas state and oklahoma state but baylor texas tech the butt pull this weekend is huge because technically baylor's not out of it because they still have like i said texas tcu and kansas state on their schedule they still technically control their own destiny but they've got to get past the texas tech team that looks like they're playing really well but it's playing really well despite being one and two in the last three games they found baron morton like that game is is big for bowl implications too for both those programs. Like I, there are two big games that could impact or will impact the Big 12 title game this weekend. That's half the games on the schedule for the conference. Well, I mean, you bring up big games, and when I think of big games, I think of the guy that's been in the conference, like you said, since 05. I mean, can you tell me? about Coach Gundy and his consistency over these years, winning nine to ten games basically it seems like every year, especially when he has a returning quarterback. And how does he do it with amid like people constantly putting jobs on him outside of Oklahoma State? Well, look, the jobs thing is, let's be honest, he, he's flirted. Like, no, we're not going to act like he hasn't. And – I think some of that is for real. Like he got, he, I, I think if he was being honest, he got close to a couple of schools considering it. And I think a lot of it was him and, and former athletic director, Mike Holder weren't always the best of friends. And I think Mike Holder could be a bit stingy. And so Gundy would do it to get what he wanted. And that was the only leverage he felt that he had to, to get things. And for goodness sake, they, they, there was a, they fought over whether they could have bowl banners hanging in the practice facility. And so, like that's a thing Gundy wanted and Holder wouldn't get him. And it was just like, eh. So the the leaving stuff was real. Um, he stuck around because he's always been able to get the things that he wants and feels that he needs for this program to be successful. And for longevity, like, look, culture is a buzzword that's overused in college football. Uh, if someone ever uses the word term winning culture, they're full of shit. There's no such thing as a winning culture. If your culture is winning, you don't have a culture. You just win a lot. Is this a slight at Matt Campbell potentially? It is. It is. It is not a slight at Matt Campbell. It is a uh, because I believe Matt Campbell similarly has a culture that's established. And when I say culture, it's not just like, are you wearing a suit or this is how we talk to to women or this. I don't mean this stuff. What I mean by a culture is there is a way that we do everything an understanding of the way we operate from how we recruit to who we recruit to, to how we run meetings, to how we practice, to how we execute on games. And I, I think there are some coaches that is, that is exactly what they do. They mean it. And that's how they live by it. 
it's it's what we can we can get irritated at Dabo for some of the nonsense stuff he says and some of the views he has on college athletics and, and NIL and those things. You never hear any of his former players come out and bash him. They have a culture there that is established. Gundy has done the same thing at Oklahoma State. Lots of coaches coaches talk about culture, establishing a culture. It's a buzzword. It's just a thing you say. And I think for majority of coaches, that's the case. But for the good ones, the ones that have longevity, that culture's there. That culture doesn't have to be the kind of offense you run or your defensive scheme because those things shift. Alabama has a culture, but they change offense. They change defense. They change style. Oklahoma State's changed defensive styles. They've changed offensive schemes. I mean, there's a pretty consistent Oklahoma State offense, and now I think there's a set de- Oklahoma State defense, but there's still adjustments all the time. The culture is how you operate, how you recruit, the kinds of kids you get in that you believe you can be successful with and know how to coach up and know how to play with and succeed with. And so that's what Gundy has done. When they talk about it's the cowboy culture. That's the term they use. That's the way that they view it. That's what they have labeled it as. And I think it's real. And I, I, people can, I think some people are like, ah, that's not a thing. No, I, I think for them it is. I think for coaches that are really successful, they understand what having a true culture is. And that's why Gundy has been able to, succeed as much as he has i think he's smart too i look if you've watched him when he had been on the, the i love those things we do the playoff the national championship game and they let the coaches sit in the room together and talk about it and watch the game and it's it's like it's it's better than watching the game just watching it that way Gunny knows what he's talking about guy's smart um he may be silly and he may wear a mullet and he may like to run around shirtless and he may be a big personality, but the guy knows what he's doing. He knows more about football than any of us will ever know in our entire lifetimes. Uh, he's, he's smart. I don't have to agree with everything he does, but guy knows what he's doing. And they, he, he understands Oklahoma State and he has established how they want to win. And he's been able to maintain it because the biggest thing to me, and I think I was listening to Split Zone Duo today, and they were talking about it. If you want to know the coaches who came from a specific side of the ball and are kind of scheme guys, Gundy's been a scheme guy. Now I think he's a CEO. You either have to be a true CEO of a program, which means that, yeah, you may have a side of the ball that you operate on. Gundy's known for offense. But can you manage a program as a whole? Can you keep things running smoothly? And can you adapt? And Gundy's been adaptable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, something that Mike Gundy has brought, um, at least in, I would say the recent history of Oklahoma State um, has been an offensive team, fast paced, um, a strong running back thinking, you know, guys like Jalen Warren and um, wide receiver core, always a, a strong number one wide receiver, you know, always, you know, going back to Justin Blackman and um, James Washington, et cetera. You know, this season has been a little bit different um, when I've been watching Oklahoma State play um, in both of those position groups this year. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, how you would compare this uh, this season's offense to maybe some of those offensive units in those recent Well, I, this offense feels more like the Oklahoma State offense of old. Um, I think it's on purpose. I think it's also out of necessity. Uh, Let's be honest. I'll I'll just say this. Uh, Gundy's dream offense would be a perfect 50-50 even split. I'm trying to remember what season it was. There was a a year earlier in his career where they literally ended the year with the exact same number of rushing yards as they did passing yards. And I'm pretty sure he has that, like, crocheted on his wall somewhere. A joke. But, like, that's the dream for Gundy. 
is a perfect balance. He wants both. So for everybody who's like, no, Gundy just wants to throw, throw, air raid, air raid. No, Gundy loves to run the ball. He wants to run. They want to done it. They need a dominant running back. Um, this year, they, they just don't. They don't have one. And I, don't, I don't mean to slight Dominic Richardson. He's, he's done an admirable job. But, I mean, he's getting banged up. He's just – they don't have the run game. And, and Jalen Warren was awesome last year. I mean, going back to Kendall Hunter, uh, Chuba Hubbard, uh, Justice Hill, they, they typically have a marquee running back. And their best offenses are when they have a marquee running back. And they just haven't had that this year. No one has been able to pick up what, where, where Warren left off last year. Uh, you mentioned the wide receivers. Yeah. I mean, Des Bryant, Justin Blackman, um, Tylen Wallace, James Washington, and, and to some extent, Tay Martin last year. We've had some guys that didn't have the marquee name, but they still had a go-to guy. They haven't had somebody step up in that way this year. Now, in defense of the wide receivers, they've been banged up and beat up. I think Jaden uh, Nixon, uh, Jaden Bray, would be the guy to be the stud wide receiver. It hasn't been healthy. Brandon Johnson can't stay healthy. They had five uh, scholarship wide receivers in the game against Texas last week by the end of the game. And that's, the, that's what they were running out there. Happened a lot last year, too. They were beat up. And we went to Boise State, and I think they were only able to dress – I don't say scholarship receivers. They were only able to dress like six receivers, period. Uh, one of the guys who made a, a massive play, Kate Cabanis, was a walk-on that they had to put out there in, in a massive and important third-down spot. Um, he made a huge cast. I mean, they just, they've been beat up the last two years a lot, and they haven't had a, a go-to marquee guy this year. And I think it's not because there's not one on the roster, but they're still really young. A lot of freshmen and sophomores on this wide receiving core. Uh, the, the running back, Dom's, I think, a junior this year. Um, your other two backups, your true backups, are both true freshmen uh, in, in Jaden Nixon and um, Ollie Gordon. Uh, it just – this is an offense that is leaning even more heavily on its quarterback than it typically does. And so I'll say this for Spencer Sanders. He's not getting enough credit. Like, I, I, I trust me, I've watched every Spencer Sanders snap, every Spencer Sanders game. I know who Spencer Sanders is. Um, he did play better last year. Um, he's playing his best ball this year. And I, the stats aren't necessarily going to show it. I don't think he's going to get enough credit if you just go and look at the stat lines for what he's doing and his completion percentages. He's not, he would look great in non conference. Since conference play, his touchdowns are down. It, it's just, it's, it's not. It doesn't look great on the stat sheet, but I'll say this. OSU's run game has not been effect, been super effective. Uh, Nixon had a 50-something yard run against Texas last week. I think it was 51 yards. That was the longest run from scrimmage by a running back by like 32 yards they'd hit all season. Um, it's just you haven't had the explosive run play at all. And so Gundy has talked a lot through Spencer Sanders' career, especially last year. The reason that the offense was so slow and leaned on the run was they knew that the best that to get the best Spencer, you wanted to lean on the run game and not put everything on him. Well, this year, they're still trying to run the ball, but you're having to put a lot more on Spencer Sanders' shoulders. Oklahoma State right now is where they are uh, because of making enough plays on defense and Spencer Sanders carrying this team on offense way more than he's ever had to. And he's doing an incredible job of it. And so uh, he's not getting enough credit because the stat lines don't show it, but he's had so much more pressure on him this year than he's ever had. And for that reason, like I'm like, I'll put Doug in number one in the big 12, the way he's playing Spencer Sanders is number two, just because of the amount of pressure he's having to, and the amount of weight he's having to carry. 
Yeah, and you bring up Spencer Sanders, and I like I like what you're saying. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. He's he's carrying this team. He's doing it. He's the veteran. I mean, he what was he preseason player of the year for in the conference? Uh, QB one, yeah, yeah, um, because he was he finished last year's QB one, so they yeah, carried and, it over. And he's got the talent, and he's been doing it. Ba- I don't want to say by himself, but he, like you said, he's been carrying this team. And I think a lot of it has to do with his O line being down a lot of positions, and that's one of my matchups that I think is going to be instrumental for for K State to get a victory. What are some of your key matchups um, for the game this coming weekend at three thirty? And who are some players outside of Deuce Vaughn that kind of not necessarily scare you, but that you're looking out for that could potentially change? Well, obviously it's Deuce. I mean, look, uh, OSU gave up, what was it? It's, uh, I think it was about 70% or two-thirds of Texas's first half offense last year. Their yards came on – or last week came on 10 plays. Um, you had a jazz busted run play by Bijan, which I mean, it's Bijan Robinson. What are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> good grief. He's a cheat code. You had one by Roshan as well. OSU is going to give up big plays. Um, this defense, especially at, at, at linebacker and in the secondary, you replaced basically your entire starting secondary and, and both your starting linebackers off last year's team. The defensive line is awesome. It's, it's been great. It's banged up. It's down a couple guys, but it's still able to deliver. But, I mean, you don't replace Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper off last year's team and just be like, no, we're fine. Same same level of play. Like, it's, it's not going to happen. You don't replace all of your starting defensive backs and go, yeah, same thing. No, no problem. They've had setbacks. Now, they have been improving as the year has gone on, um, but they're still young and they're still inexperienced as far as playing as often and as much as they have to. And so they make mistakes. Um, and so I wish he was giving up some big plays. That's why people are like, oh, their defense isn't any good. Well, it's – it's not last year's. I'm not going to argue that by any for any sake. Um, they're going to give up some big plays, but they're able to make so far, for the most part, enough defensive plays and defensive stops, key stops when they need to. Um, and the offense has been able to do enough to get them to where they are right now. The offense just couldn't do quite enough in the second half against TCU because Spencer Sanders was beat. Um, and man, I'll say this for Spencer: uh, he took enough hits last week against Texas. I hope he spent the whole week in an ice bath because, ah, uh, man. Uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure Adrian Martinez is doing the same thing, not practicing, sitting in an ice bath, just trying to get himself healthy and prepped and ready to go this week. Um, so, yeah, Bijan – I'm sorry, uh, Deuce scares the crap out of me because I'm, the, the question is can you limit the number of explosive plays that he is able to make? And on that note, can you limit the number of explosive run plays that, that, uh, that Martinez is able to make as well for Kansas State? So those two things concern me. Well, Kansas State's going to get a deep shot, and uh, OSU's going to going to give it to him. There's probably going to be one. I would say, man, uh, Philip Brooks probably going to have at least one big play in this game. And so again, it's can Oklahoma State's defense limit the big plays by Kansas State? On the flip side of that, yeah, uh, OSU. The Gundy is not talking about injuries. We don't know. Uh, the defensive backfield is banged up. I don't know if Jason Taylor. We don't know if Jason Taylor's going to play. We don't know where Job Bar Muhammad will be uh, on the offensive line. Oh, I, who knows? Um, I, at one point, we were down to our third string center because 
the starter's been out and second string got hurt and then he came back in banged up. So uh, offensive line is a concern. It's definitely not helping the run game. That's not as effective as it needs to be. And so the big thing for OSU is can you get enough on the ground to complement Spencer Sanders? Um, and, and that that does concern me. I know how good Kansas State's defensive line is and how good they are at linebacker. Um, so I think Oklahoma State's defensive line will do a decent enough job against Kansas State's offensive line. They've been that way. But I would say my concern of can OSU run the ball enough against Kansas State to make not make Spencer Sanders do absolutely everything uh, to to be able to put up enough points to win on Saturday. And I, it's it's almost like you read the outline before before the episode here because you've you've answered all of our questions. But the last thing that we have for you is first off, let the people know where they can find your work and plug anything that you're working on. And then third or, or secondly, hit us with that game prediction. What your final score is going. Uh, everything is at 1012network.com, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. You'll find a link to every show. The Bosco's Boys link should be on there, hopefully by the end of day Friday, if I can get Chris to get it on there. Um, so go check it out. You'll find every show on the network. Uh, we should have a big announcement about one of our shows on Monday, which I'm very excited about, just in time for basketball season. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at 1012network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. Uh, we tweet out as much nonsense as I possibly can related to the Big 12 conference. Um, we're on Instagram, 1012pod. I've been really inconsistent there, mostly because it's not doing enough traffic and traction for me to spend a lot of time making unique graphics, but that's okay. Uh, so check out every show, seriously. Um, we have put together what I think is... I don't think you're going to find a better collection of Big 12 podcasts um, anywhere. I just don't. Um, there's not, as far as I know, there's not another Big 12 podcast network out there. Uh, so I feel like we're the only ones and we're in a very unique space. But I don't think, like, I, there's a lot of good Big 12 shows that aren't in the network, like, hands down. I'm, absolutely. Uh, what Ride Right Natty Light does for Iowa State is fantastic. Uh, what Longhorn Republic does in Gerald. And Kyle over there, they do a great job. Um, we don't have an Oklahoma show. We're not going to add one. There's some really good ones that are out there. There's lots of good Big 12 shows, you guys included. But I don't think you're going to find a better collection of Big 12-specific podcasts, current and future teams, if you will, uh, in our network. So go and check them all out. Uh, whether they're playing Kansas State this week or not, if you just want to know more about them, and obviously as basketball season gets closer, it's good to know as much as you can about those teams. Uh, go check them all out. All right. And, and I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, when we don't know who we're going to invite for, for our guests, we're reaching out to 1012 network affiliates. So appreciate that. Philip, what's, what's your final score prediction? Uh, I'll be honest. I don't give final score predictions because I have no idea uh, versus I have no idea. Uh, what I will say is um, I'll, I'll use the line, which I believe at this point is Kansas state minus Two? I think it's at yeah, one now. I think it's one now. One. Okay, I'm trying to remember what it was when we recorded the picks pod earlier today. Um, here's the deal. I, I know we don't know what, how healthy Adrian Martinez is. I unless his leg is broken, I, I bet he's going to be out there. Um, these are two banged up, beat up teams on both sides of the ball. Um, it's it's funny to me. Like I was like, you know, if all things, if everybody was healthy, I think this would be a really close, even match. That's why you're seeing all the projections from everybody from from uh, <clears throat> was it uh, uh, from Parker 
to uh, Bill Connolly to uh, BFC Toys. Like everyone's projections, like let's pick them. We got no idea. We just we don't know. Um, it's funny because if everybody was healthy, that's that's what it would be. I think both sides are so banged up. It's still kind of that close of a game. I'm going to lean Kansas State, and I would take Kansas State to cover just because this game is in Manhattan. Kansas State is at home. I think this. I think this is a last team that scores wins kind of game, um, which has kind of been these uh, really exciting and close games that we've been watching in the Big 12 the last few weeks have been. Whoever's the last team to uh, cross the goal line and get in has been the team that's been able to win the game, and that feels like what we're going to get again on Saturday. So I will lean Kansas State in this one in in another close game. Well, Philip, we very much appreciate having you on. Thank you again for for joining Cocaine Willie tonight, and best of luck this weekend to your to your pokes. Hey guys, appreciate you having Thanks, me. Thanks, Philip. Uh, yeah, thank you. To, happy to hop back on anytime. Yeah, you're the best. Awesome. Aw, you guys. <laughs> well, boys, let's uh, take it around the horn real quick. We'll, we'll fire off our predictions, and then we'll go to uh, we'll move on to Bob's locks after that. Chef. Well, you know. Last week was not too hot for me in my prediction with TCU, but, you know, I'm going to stick with the Cats. I think what we saw from Will Howard, and, I mean, throughout his career, it's been a little bit of up and down, but I'm not going to count that 2020 season too harshly against him. And last year versus Nevada, I mean, he played well. He got thrown in versus Southern Illinois, and it and he kind of struggled a little bit in that game, but – I think what I saw in TCU is kind of what we're going to see out of Will Howard maybe going forward. So either quarterback I feel fine with, but I'm going to say it's a really, really tight game, 31-29 Cats. Fireball, Matt, you were the only one who predicted TCU to win last week, so I'm hoping uh, that Uh, that your your streak of being correct uh, continues. I would agree. Um, I am, again – optimistic about this weekend i do feel really good about saturday um i think offensively we're going to be able to put together some good drives um i do think oklahoma state's going to do the same it's going to be really close in the fourth quarter um but k-state will pull it out 38 35 um and we will be taking shots of fireball after the game and the i love it i think i mean both of these teams are banged up I, I really don't think we're going to see Martinez. I'm, I'm positive that it's going to be Will Howard getting the start and playing the entire game, you know, hopefully barring him, hopefully not getting injured again, but I'm going to take the cats 31 to 25 in overtime. And I think we're going to barely hit the 56 and a half under, which leads me to uh, actually before, before we do Bob's locks, I'm going to go to Will first. Will, what do you have for your score prediction? And do you have any any additional commentary? Um, I don't think I have any additional commentary. You know, I felt actually pretty good about last week and we lost. I feel bad about this weekend, so we'll probably win. So I'm going to say uh, Cats by two. And that would, that would cover the spread with the one-and-a-half-point line that I saw earlier this week. Which leads me to Bob's and Fireball Matt's locks. So for this week... I'm going to be hammering some overs and unders based on Parker Fleming's advanced stats previews. So I went two for two last week on those advanced stats previews uh, for the overs and unders specifically. So I'm going to carry that into this week. But but just a quick review of last week. I took KU at Baylor to cover plus seven and a half. That one missed. 
Uh, although not by much, uh, KU was was fairly close in that game to covering. But but Baylor, if you looked at at Parker's, uh, did you, did we really get beat that bad? Uh, Baylor really did beat KU that bad as far as really controlling the game. So that one missed. Memphis at Tulane. I took Tulane minus seven and a half. That one hit. And then the only other miss I had was Ole Miss at LSU. I took Ole Miss plus one and a half in, in a game that really shocked me. But LSU played really, really well uh, at home in Baton Rouge. So that one missed. And then the other two that I took, so the overs and unders from last week, I took Texas at Oklahoma State over 61 and a half to hit. And UCLA at Oregon over 69 and a half to hit. And that was a high scoring affair, I think, in uh, at Autzen Stadium there. For this week, I have one spread and four overs and unders. So I'm going to take Oklahoma at Iowa State. I'm going to take the Cyclones to cover plus one and a half in the game in Ames. And I'm double dipping that game on a same game parlay with the over under. And I've got over 55 and a half total points. Oklahoma's defense is not good. And I just, you know, it's an interesting game because I think you've got one of the top offenses going against one of the top defenses, but both of these teams are total bottom dwellers right now, as far as big 12 standings are concerned. So I think it will end up being a higher scoring affair than a lot of Iowa state's matchups have been so far this season. So taking the over at 55 and a half, I've then got Ohio state at Penn state. I'm taking the under 60 and a half in that game. I think Penn state's going to get absolutely dominated. They are way higher ranked than they probably should be this season. Uh, and I think Ohio State is probably the best team in the country. We've got TCU at West Virginia. I'm taking that one with the over 68 and a half. You got two incredibly high-powered, high-scoring offenses there going head-to-head. I think that's a that's a no-brainer over there. And then Oklahoma State at K-State. I'm taking the under. And if you listen to my score prediction, it was just under the 56 and a half. Uh, but I think this is this is going to be a good matchup between two teams that are pretty beat up and, and it might be a bit of a slugfest. So we'll see what happens with that one. Fireball, Matt, you hit all of your bets and predictions last week. So I have zero room to talk. Fire up everything you've got. All right. So uh, Bob Trollsby and I have talked about a duel this upcoming weekend. Bob's locks versus Fireball Matt's locks. The loser has to buy a six pack of craft beer to bring to the Texas tailgate. Sold. Look at that. All right. Um, last week I hit on the Penn state alternate spread minus seven. They won by God knows who knows. And then Oklahoma state covering that plus six and a half. So this week I have Penn state plus 15 and a half at home against Ohio state. Um, I do think Penn state will make that game competitive, which I hate saying, but I do think they will, um, Syracuse. I'm taking an alternate spread of minus five and a half versus Notre Dame. I think they will blow Notre Dame out at home, South Carolina, four point favorite over Mizzou, UNC minus three over Pitt. And then I am going to take the complete opposite of Bob. I'm going TCU West Virginia under 68 and a half. I think surprisingly Ooh. that game will be in a low scoring. I think it will be low scoring. I'm going to chime in here. Uh, the only I love all of these picks except for Bob and Matt. I think you guys are off a little bit. I don't think Penn State will cover that 15 and a half. I mean, yeah, I don't think Penn State will keep it within 15 and a half. 
But I think Ohio State is just so dominant and they're finding their rhythm on offense that it's going to be the over. So I think both of you guys are going to miss on that. So that's my only that's my only gripe with that. And you know, I'm the I'm the the mediator cocaine Willie Buckeye. I'm the Buckeye <laughs> here. So I know I'm tapped in with that Buckeye program. You know what? So that's where I'm at. The thing with the Penn State game, the whiteout, I, that game historically has been close. Yeah, like the Auburn game last year, close. Um, I'm pretty sure the Ohio State game was, you know, a couple years ago, and that was, I'm pretty sure, a close game. 2016 think, was the last time that they won when it was the Penn State whiteout. Okay. It was 2016. But I will say this. Uh, Franklin is 6-2 and two against the spread versus the Buckeyes in his career. I mean, he hasn't won any of them, but, I mean, he's, I mean, yeah. he's only won one of them, and he's – He's six and two against the spread. So that is kind of history is on his side with that 15 and a half. So you might be right, <laughs> Matt, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm just not feeling, I think this team is a little different in Buckeye land. I think they're going to smush them, but they're going to, that they're going to hit that over Bob. I think they're going to hit it. And that's why I'm taking the over. I don't, I don't want to touch that. <laughs> I don't want to touch that spread alternate, you know, the, the main one or otherwise, uh, well, I, I think that's it for, for our locks for this week. Last thing that we have for tonight is guys talking ball. Chef, go ahead and fire. I will say there's not a lot of people in here. So it's, it's, I mean, I miss Cole, you know, he kind of always brings the fire. Cole pretty much, pretty ball. much carries the conversation for guys talking ball. He does. But you know, this one, I, I was just kind of being silly about it. And it, I think it would spark a little bit of debate, but if, if the Big 12 were to adopt a – and if Philip wants to get into this, I would like to hear his too. But if, if the Big 12 were to adopt a trade policy, um, who would K-State put on the trading block and what player or position group would K-State be trading for? That's what I want to know. And, and it could go for Oklahoma State. Who would who would Oklahoma State put on the trading block and who would they be wanting to trade for? Oh, man. Um... If you need some time to think, I, I've thought about this a little bit for K-State's perspective. Oh, um, <laughs> Chef, don't you want K- Gavin Potter as a free agent right now? <laughs> I mean, he can't – imagine, like, just bringing him in and just having him just in practice getting crossed up by Deuce Vaughn every play. Just put him in an Oklahoma drill with Deuce Vaughn every play. That would be hilarious. Just for the comedy relief. I mean, it would it would take so much stress off the boys, and we might win every game because we're just so loose and free. Okay. All right. Tell you what. Um, Oklahoma State is so ridiculously deep at defensive end. Uh, let's say uh, they can have hmm. – oh, I hate doing this. Uh, okay. I'll give Texas Brock Martin, but you have to give us Bijan. I don't think they'll ever take that trade. But oh no, they wouldn't. <laughs> uh, but hey, give a, the game. Uh, they they give, but they have you have to give them like two future four stars. Nah, we, nah. undisclosed. I, I, I don't. I, I make stupid trade offers. Right? You know, say, well, I guess I'll just keep all my players that I like. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I think I think K State should honestly think about putting up um, Echo Boydo on the trade block. As much as I hate to say that, put Echo Boydo on the trade block. I think we've got 
I mean, Julius Brents is his own freak of nature, lanky six, four corner out on that Island. But uh, Robert, I mean, uh, Jacob Parrish has shown me some things and I like him a lot. So I wouldn't be too hurt by echo leaving. And if we could trade him, I mean, he was, he's potentially a honorable mention, second team, all big 12 guy bring in God, would you want a stud linebacker? to back up Daniel Green, uh, but then you would be trading a starter for a backup. But, I mean, who else would you really want? Maybe – oh, what's the what's the Oklahoma tight end? What's that guy's name? Oh. What is that? Not Will, is it Willis? No. Wait. All right, I'll look it up. Yeah, the Oklahoma tight end, that's the guy I would want on this team. He's just so – he's a stud. Braden Willis. Stud. Yeah, Braden Willis. Willis. Give me that guy. That's who I'd be trading for right now. Oh, man. So, okay. So, I'm going to go – I'm going to trade a defensive player to pick up a decent wide receiver. So, I'm thinking – Austin Moore. I know he's our leading tackler. Oh, no. I know. I know. I know. I know. But I think you could dangle Austin Moore out there and be able to pick up, like, man. I'm just thinking from a wide receiver perspective because there are some good wide. Like, do you think we could get Xavier Hutchinson for that? Oh no way! <laughs> Iowa State would never go for that. No, I mean, like, and then he, Iowa State he dropped have so a many receiver. <laughs> <laughs> I know, no, no, I know. But maybe like a Xavier Worthy, or you know, a guy that that has. I I think we just are missing. We're missing something in the wide receiver area. Can we get Quentin um, Johnston? Not for Austin, for Austin Moore. <laughs> <Not> for Austin <laughs> Moore. <laughs> I think Austin Moore would get us like. Um, like what's the what's the one kid from like man. Bryce Bryce Ford Wheaton? Yes, like one of those yes from West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. Give me that. Bryce Ford Wheaton or what's the what's the one kid from uh, Baylor, the Holmes kid? Uh, Gavin went, Holmes. Yes, yeah. give me Gavin Holmes. We'll trade those two. Gavin Holmes in the slot with but that would take away Phillip Brooks, you know. I I I I think our our wide receiver core gets so disrespected just because that's not our style of offense and we just don't throw the ball and we don't rotate wide receivers. So we really don't know what we have underneath them. And I think our wide receiver core is, is solid. It's a solid group. Mm. You know, you, uh, Bob, give me – who are you trading on this team? You don't, we, have to, you don't have to tell me who – Can we trade KT Lev? Whoa. Okay, yeah, that's a start and left tackle. Put him on the because block. Because well, well, here's here's how I'm thinking about it. He's not the best offensive lineman, but he's good enough to where I feel like we could get some good value for him. But what what and position if, are you? If trading? Connor Riley is as good as people say he is, then he should be able to have a guy that's you know how about for, right behind how about him for, able to step up. How right? about for Tanner Brown? Who the hell's Tanner Brown? <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say. That would be How about Oklahoma the Oklahoma State. State? <laughs> yeah, that's oh. what I'm <laughs> hey, yes, That would was, be incredible. I'll take hey, that. I'll take he that. Was, 
he was 14 wasn't he was was he 13 for 13 he missed one kick in the, the texas game but he's consistently been yeah one Tanner of the Brown is in the country stud. yeah i he, didn't know that was his name but he is he missed a, a field goal right before the for into the first half when gundy screwed around and did the bad clock management nonsense and so but yeah he's 14 and 15 yeah, give me Tanner. Damn, a kicker. KT Why the hell did I not think of that? Yes. I mean, slide we, Andrew Line Gang we, at left tackle. Yeah, exactly. Like, we have the depth on the line to be able to make a trade for one of the best kickers in the world. Okay, football. okay. Well, if I mean, we're going to trade to West Virginia's got Casey Leg, and he's 11 for 11, and with the last name like Leg. If we're going to trade Oklahoma State up uh, offensive lineman, I think we should trade them Gillum. And have them have a center, a starting center, because they're obviously down centers. And I think they would they would think done. about it if <laughs> done. Yeah, I love it. I love, I love it. Tanner Brown, but done. I'll give you a kicker for a starting center. <laughs> this is yeah, awesome. I mean, can we can we can we do that before Saturday? Can we get that can we get that done? Yes. Can we see I, see this I'll call Coach Kleiman Saturday. Yeah, you say that, you say this now and it, and it's three seconds left and K State's on the Oklahoma State thirty five and Tanner Brown's kicking a field goal for K State and we win. You won't be saying we're seeing him switch out the jersey at halftime, like on the field <laughs> yeah. on the way to the locker room. Oh man. Any any other – I mean, I, the way that I think about it is where are we deepest at and where can we have a guy that's kind of a next man up to where, yeah, it would be a loss, but it wouldn't be as as big of a loss and we could get some good value out of it is the way that I kind of think about it. But granted, that's the way I think about my fantasy team, and I'm one in six this year in fantasy, so don't – Would you trade dues for Bijan? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're both pretty – pretty damn equal in what their abilities are. I mean, they're, it's almost a, a, a wash of a trade to be honest with you. No, I think, I think I, I had my purple glasses on for a long time, but watching Bijan this year, I mean, he's so freaky. That I mean, it knock on wood that he doesn't get hurt, but he, he takes punishment and takes contact. Like nobody I've seen in the big 12 at running back in a long time. And deuce is, He's not a gadget player, but he can't take the load that Bijan can. And if Bijan was in this offense, it would be insane. Bijan is just so much better. And the whole thing, usually when you have star running backs like Deuce Vaughn and Bijan Robinson, they're like, they're like, they're head cases or they're like not really part of the team. These guys are culture guys. And I know that sounds cliche, but Bijan's out there for the the hook'em song at the end of a, a loss at Oklahoma State. And Deuce Vaughn is Deuce Vaughn. We know what he's about and all about K-State. I would trade those – I would trade that in a heartbeat. Uh, I, would, I would say – yeah, I, I would too. Like the, the difference to me is – and this isn't a shot at, the, at, at Deuce in any way, shape, or form. Kansas State does an incredible job of scheming him in into positions where – good luck uh, as a defense where it's just frustrating – um, Bijan, man, he he, you don't you don't have to scheme him open. You just go here, you go, and he is shifty. I mean, that you, the play he did against Oklahoma State, where he just busted one open and made guys miss, and not just like oh they almost got there, made them look silly. It was like playing on Sunday kind of stuff. Like he's just he's absolutely 
ridiculous and unfair and a cheat code. And I hope he goes to drink. And I would love to have him on the Kansas City Chiefs and replace Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but that's a completely different topic for a completely different day. I want it. any other trade propositions, guys? <laughs> I'm, I'm trade my GM days are done. I think Matt and Bob, you guys collaborated on the perfect trade. I think we should obviously get that done, but I mean my GM days are done. I'm trying to scheme another one up here. Like what about like Adrian and who like a uh, Dylan Gabriel? Oh God! See, that's 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 interesting, but I just I don't see I don't see our offensive coordinator, I don't see our head coach using Dylan Gabriel in the way that he needs to be used in an offense. Now I just don't see that because what I see is this is exactly what I see. Dylan Gabriel is what Jake Waters was in 2013, where they tried to run him. And they, if, if Dylan Gabriel was in K-State's office, it would just be Jake Waters season. Like that's what it would be. We would run him way too much and he'd die. And you know, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. I think Dylan Gabriel, I mean, as talented as he is, I'd still keep Adrian. Ooh, that's a tough one because I think I think you could scheme up an offense that works his speed and his ability to run, which we I know we talked about kind of a little underrated, um, you know, Keegan and said, but he's such a good thrower. I, you know, so if I was thinking about all the quarterbacks in the Big 12, if we had to trade Adrian Martinez I would trade him for Dylan. Like I would pick Dylan Gabriel if as a, I can't say Spencer Sanders. I mean that, I mean, if, if they could, okay. If you, if they could do what they did for Adrian Martinez coming from Nebraska, imagine what they could do for Spencer Sanders. This like, that's, the storylines are, I mean, he's everything that Adrian Martinez was at Nebraska, except he wins. Speaking of storylines, I do have just one random thought that I would throw out there that doesn't involve K-State, but what if you swapped Dylan Gabriel and JT Daniels? West Virginia would be <laughs> fucking scary, dude. <laughs> West Virginia would be scary. Now imagine. Uh, oh, but what, that would be a kind of fun. That would be a fun game to play. Like if you got like a like a, a wheel and you had one wheel was all the big 12 teams and one wheel was all the quarterbacks and like you spun it and then whatever quarterback it landed on, that's what team it would go to when it spun on that wheel. So like you just rotated all the quarterbacks and how the seasons would play out. Like if <laughs> Quinn yours was on K state, but Adrian was on Texas and uh, JT Daniels was on OU, but Dylan Gabriel was at KU. What about Duggan, Duggan and Quinn Ewers? Imagine Duggan on this Texas team and imagine you yours like with this kind of young TCU team. You know, overthrowing every single pass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if Duggan let's put if Duggan was on Texas right now, you have a pretty nasty run offense that you're gonna be able to work with him. I mean, really, if like him and Bijan together. 
It'd be dirty. And, It'd and be dirty, Roshan, but... like all those guys. They they've oh, got yeah. they've got some dudes in the running game. Okay, think about this. Like we're we're kind of Jalen Daniels before he got hurt, he was having probably the best season of all the quarterbacks. I know people are going to say that he didn't really play anybody, but if Jalen Daniels is healthy, would you take him on the roster over Adrian? I don't know if I would take him over Adrian, but I would. I think he would be. I was thinking about this before before you moved over to it, but I think he would probably. If if you look at all of the quarterbacks in the Big Twelve, he might be the best fit for what we run scheme wise. That's true, and I mean he's uber athletic. I mean throwing the ball, he was. I mean he was pretty freaking good too. That's what he's probably taken the biggest jump of all the Big Twelve quarterbacks from last year to this year. In my, opinion. I think it'd be between him and Max Duggan. Yeah, I, Max Duggan and, is having a good season. <laughs> and I, so I actually think Duggan would be the best fit in the K State offense. I do, um, because I think we would be able to scheme him running the football similarly to Adrian, but he has a really good arm. I mean, he's shown that. Um, I think he would, if you were going to plug and play someone in there to be able to run the K-State offense Saturday, I think he would be the one that you could have a good majority of the plays and he'd be able to run them. I think experience-wise, too. I mean, he's he's a four-year starter, granted, with the exception of, I think, the first game or first two games uh, when Chandler Morris was starting. But, yeah, I mean, he, he's got the experience. He's similar to Adrian in that regard where he's played – a ton of football in his career and would be able to kind of plug and play. He reminds me of Jake uh, Waters. Jalen Daniels doesn't have as much experience there. And he's finally Jake Waters healthy. Comparison. I, I don't see Jake Waters. I just mean, I see some of Jake, the, the running. I see some similarities. I don't think he has as good of an arm as Jake Waters, but I think if you put him in that offense in 2014, Duggan fits some of that. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, he's he's just so tough. He's a tough kid, which is weird because I, I mean, I saw it in 2019 when he stiffed AJ AJ Parker into another dark realm. Like he was, he's showed a tough toughness since his freshman year. But he's finally healthy, and I don't know if there we've seen a quarterback kind of like him in a long time because he's just such a tough runner. He does throw the ball decent. Let's not, let's not give him too much credit. I mean, he got bailed out by some Julius Brents getting hurt. I mean, Josh Hayes, he threw that into double coverage as Julius Brents is hamstring doesn't blow out. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Duggan's all right, but I think the, the shoe might drop eventually for TCU, but they, they wouldn't it be nice if they didn't? I mean, I would like to see them in a rematch healthy in, a, in Arlington. I agree with that. I, I don't, uh, I, we already did the TCU review, so I don't want to get too in the weeds with this, but I am still not just a hundred percent sold on TCU. I mean, give them credit, credit where credit's due, but I think, you know, they could lose any of these upcoming matchups. They really could. Any anything now, could get, happen in this conference. Tell me this, Matt and Bob. Tell me this. Who would you? Okay, it's it's looking like TCU's kind of a lock for 
the Big 12 championship, but who would you rather see in the Big 12 championship versus K-State if it if you had your choice? I know we haven't seen the two other – well, I mean, Texas might be out of it as well. I don't know. But who would you rather see in that? Who would you rather see? Because you know what I'm thinking is OU is going to play spoiler for a lot of teams. I think OU is going to spoil a lot of – I think OU is going to spoil a lot of people's – if I'm looking at it from how the teams have played thus far. So, I mean, I'm thinking it's going to be one of four teams in the Big 12 championship game. TCU, K-State, Oklahoma State, or Texas. But why Texas, though? They've I mean, in theory, I, in theory, if they win out, they're going to Arlington. Or at least, at who, least they're going to tie. Yeah, they're at least going to tie for second because – they still have us on the schedule, so if they went out, they're they're automatically tied with us, and they would own the tiebreaker against the Cats. They still have Baylor on the schedule, so they would they would then jump Baylor because Baylor would have their third loss. They have they have lost that, to Oklahoma State though, so Oklahoma State would need to lose another game or two. I think two. They would need to lose two more games. Oklahoma State would, but but Texas, there's still a path for them to be. But they, but you could say the same thing about Baylor. Baylor's only got two losses, and you could. It, I, I don't know. I, I think Texas more than likely. I mean, their losses are to Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. I think Baylor has a better chance. Well, like, I don't know. They still have to play each other, so it's like, and they haven't played TCU never, yet. They haven't played TCU. I mean, Baylor hasn't played TCU. Texas hasn't played TCU. I mean, but that's – I don't know. It's still so kind of wide open, and people are putting the lock on TCU. I mean, they are statistically the best team right now. But, I mean, if we win, I don't even want to – I don't even want to talk about us because it's just – it hurts me so bad because we did it last time and we took the L to TCU. I, but if we beat oh, – No, sorry. If we, yeah, go. No, you're right. No, if if we beat Oklahoma State – it's looking so much better, but we have it's it's still so wide open in the twelve. If we some if we make it to Arlington, I mean, a lot of things obviously have to go our way, including most likely finishing the season with at the most one law uh, another loss. Um, I the TCU game last week showed that I believe we have the capability to be competitive with them if some of our guys are able to come back towards the end of the season. I think the game goes our way if we're able to get Daniel Green back, we're able to get some of those key defensive players back. I think that was the thing that held us back. You know, we just, we didn't have some of that defensive firepower. I would love to play TCU again. And and I would honestly, this is not a knock on Will Howard whatsoever. I would prefer to have Adrian Martinez as the starting quarterback, given the experience that he has, given that he has been Mr. Clutch for us in so many games this season so far. And I want him to be the guy in the driver's seat more so than Will Howard. It's not to say that Will Howard can't get us there, but I feel more confident having Adrian Martinez there and getting us to Arlington.
Boy, let me tell you, when he took off on that first play on that read option, he was running down the running down the right side of that field. I was like, oh, we are about to cruise. He took a big shot right there. I don't know what the injury is. It's got to be his left knee, right? I think it's I think it's left his knees. Knee. It's got to be his knees. I I thought it was his hip at first, but looking back on that Iowa State game where I think he got hurt. I think it's his knee, and, you know, I don't know. If you listen to Gundy, Gundy says he's going to play, but I think he was just being a little tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, I wonder but, I wonder I mean, if Fitz is uh, out there giving, uh, giving some insider info to, <laughs> to Mr. Gundy down south. You got to listen to last week's episode to understand that one. Dude, this was I guess- fun. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I guess we can we can go ahead and wrap it up if unless anybody's got any other thoughts on uh, on the Big Twelve race, you know, guys talking ball, any of that stuff. No, I think I think this is a good pod. Philip was a great guest. Perfect. And we have reached the hour and twenty seven minute mark. And for some reason, we've had like three episodes that end up being an hour and twenty seven minutes long. So for all of us here, at Cocaine Willie, and to everybody in the live room, thank you for listening in and contributing. For everyone on the podcast feed, thank you as well. Next week, we're going to have the wonderful gals from the Fire the Cannon podcast for our UT Texas game preview. And we'll have Matt as Bear from Between Two Bears, uh, another uh, both of these are 1012 uh, podcast network affiliates, and we're going to have them lined up for the Baylor preview. So stay tuned to the feed. Tell your friends to stop by uh, either the live show or share our recorded episodes the next day when they when they air on Spotify or we're now on Apple podcasts because we have one guy who wanted to listen on Apple podcasts. So all that said, give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify or Apple podcasts or on Twitter. Uh, to be notified when we drop new episodes and then leave us a review with your feedback as well. If you're, if you're on Twitter, follow the show at cocaine Willie or follow us individually. I am at Bob Trollsby. Chef is at chef Andre Napier and fireball. Matt is at Matt Marchesini chef. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We're all Coke and no joke. Wildcat country. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right.